Welcome to the Improv Comedy Connection podcast. I'm your host, Witchiller, and I'm super excited to share this conversation with Fania Ortali. Fania is familiar to so many in the global improv community, not only having taught in 20 or more countries, but also through his nearly decades-long work in producing Status Magazine. Status is read throughout the world and published in eight languages. What you might not know is that there's a goal of Fania's that plays out in Status, the broadening of every improviser's knowledge of the possibilities in improv. And the more choices you're aware of, as Fania puts it, the more free you are. A goal of this podcast is similar. In my view, the more we know about improv, the better we can do the craft and the deeper the experience can be. Even before COVID-19, we were planning to reach further afield than many podcasts do, and I hope you've taken advantage of listening to interviews with people that perhaps you've never even heard of doing improv that didn't evolve with the same traditions and teachers and schools of thought that you might have experienced in your improv journey. Fania's got his own approach and understanding of improv that you get to listen in on today, but I think you'll find that he also helps give you a broader view of not only Latin American and Spanish language improv traditions, but of improv as a whole. I know you're going to enjoy the Fania Ortali episode of the Improv Comedy Connection. Fania, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, I have been looking forward to this. This is a unusual season. And it's a world of improv that has been opening up to us. But the improv world has been more open to you, I feel, based on your work in Status, uh, the magazine. Can we start there? I know a lot of people know about Status, but I want to get into your story. But I'd like your perspective on the world of improv as you've seen it since you've kind of opened the door for many through just putting Status Magazine out there. Well, that was basically the main reason why I started doing Status, because I wanted to to connect people. And uh, I wanted for other people, for other improvisers, especially in Latin America or in the beginning in Argentina, uh, to get to know, to get to meet other improvisers or other groups doing different things, or maybe the same things, but in a different way. Since I yeah. was already starting uh, traveling around and watching shows, uh, I wanted everybody else to witness that. So, of course, everything evolved and changed, and now more people get to travel, or more people, thanks to internet in general, but YouTube, now you get to watch maybe... It's not the same to watch a show or recorded show, but you get to see maybe the costumes, maybe the lights, maybe the idea, the general structure. Then Facebook and eventually Zoom. Now mm-hmm. we are much more connected. And and I yeah. think that it's really helpful. And and I think it will speed up a lot of process. Yeah. What maybe 20 years ago took us a couple of years to get there. Now mm-hmm. it's more immediate, more simultaneous, maybe. So when you started, it was Spanish language only. Yes. So that covers uh, most of Latin America and obviously Spain. What were some of, and you were in in Argentina at the time. You're in Madrid now, but you Mm -hmm. were in Argentina when you started Status, right? Okay. What What were some of the things that you learned from that process of the different countries or different 
cultural interpretations or just what people were doing different that opened things up for you? Well, what uh, what started with my first trip, uh, my second trip to Europe to take part in a festival, and I, I met a lot of people from all over the world, uh, it, it grew stronger with the interviews and with the articles I was writing for, for the magazine. And mm-hmm. and what I, one of the things that I discovered or, or, or I learned about these differences are this, these circles of improv, what I like to call them, which is uh, maybe the, the North American circle with a certain philosophy, the Latin American, Spanish, Italian, maybe same circle because we have like, mm-hmm. the same roots. Okay. Then the North European circle with a specific, uh, in the middle, there's another circle, which is the French speaking part of Europe circle with their own rules. Uh, and then all the other communities have started to 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 bloom in the last yeah. decade. And what what I found was why did these communities have their own style? Where does it yeah. come from? Who planted the seed? And mm-hmm. and what other influences did they have? So, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, in Latin America or Spain or Italy or even France, we don't have the North American influence, mainly because of the language. Mm-hmm. Because not right. many people speak English in these places and not many teachers or improvisers uh, from the North American circle speak other languages. Yes. Where where did these teachers have most more impact? In the north of Europe, because everybody speaks English <laughs> there. Right, right. Uh, so when when and my goal in general, my my most optimistic goal is to to cross those circles. It's, I need yeah. to for these people to at least know that there are other ways, other forms, other uh, ideologies, even mm-hmm. than one very graphic thing is that a lot of people know about Harold, for instance. It's a mm-hmm. typical form and in these schools even teach it as part of your curriculum. Right. But if you ask people in Latin America or Spain or Italy, they don't know who Harold is. Yeah. And we may we wish we, we, we I'm sure we did arrive to the same conclusions and we build our own hurdles without knowing that it exists because it's like a natural evolution of going from short scenes from the game to find the story, to connect the dots. And it's something that's it's it's natural. So this is the the, the first thing that struck my mind of, hey, this is the difference. These are the differences. So I want to talk about how the circles cross and also where some of those things started based on what you've discovered. Why do you think it's important for people to know about these other circles of improv? Because you might find that you are more keen to these other ways of understanding, of playing improvisation. Uh, in, in general terms, uh, maybe if you are from the let's say the North American circle, and mm-hmm. there's some style based on your your culture, your idea of, 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 of beat, of rhythm, of humor, of comedy in general, but you are more into drama, into slow space, into European films, then you yeah. might like 
some other styles. And if you don't know that improv is played that way, you will be stuck in a certain way. And the same the same way around. The first time I, I went to, to Canada to play in a festival, I was um, shocked with the idea of the scene. I, I watched a lot of shows which were just scenes. People in the same time and space for a long period of time, mainly talking. And the way we started and the way we learned improvisation was through telling stories and through put scene after scene after scene and saying, peripatetical, I don't know the word in, in, in English, but this idea of uh, jumping through obstacles to get to the to the end. Uh, and, and that was okay. I don't want to lose what I have and I'm not going to move towards this, but I can have both. Right, and I learned that this idea of making these scenes wider through dialogue, through talking, then I could have my stories to breathe a little before we move forward to the next scene. Mm -hmm. So I want people to have all of these influences, and then they can pick the ones they have or make a mix and blend their own style. When you speak about North America, are you talking mostly about uh, the English-speaking North America? as opposed to inclusive of Mexico and maybe the Quebec? Yeah, uh, I, I, yes, I, I, in general, we use North America as Canada and the United States and Mexico is part of Latin America, even right. geographically it's in the North, yeah, we just speak Spanish. Right, uh, right, but right. Yes, I, I, and I think it's, of course, if you get uh, more specific, then you will find different uh, styles within the North American circle, within any circle. Uh, but what you see from the outside is this. It's like what what you export. Like, yeah. for instance, the uh, you would say or people would say that the Latin American improvisers are very physical, and I'm not physical at all. <laughs> but there's a, a lot of people that are, and you would say maybe the the Europeans are more dramatic and more grounded. Yes, of course, that's what you maybe what you export, what you see, uh, what's the general rule. But mm -hmm. now we can choose. When when you think about the the Latin American circle, or maybe Spanish language and Italian language, what what do you think are the starting points for improv? The starting influences of it, or the starting uh, feel to improvisation in that context? Uh, what I think is that we we share the same seed. We all started from the French uh, Canadian format match, okay. improv match, uh, and then we evolved in different ways. But this is our, our the same seed that it all started in the late eighties in Argentina, uh, in, in Valencia and Madrid, in Spain, in Italy, uh, and then we started changing things. But uh, I think that's that, that's what connects us in some point and we make this trip of mm, maybe i don't like to play every scene in a certain style with a certain amount of players in a certain amount of time i knew i experienced that when i when i quit the the match style i needed two things i needed more time and more space okay because i wanted to tell stories and it wasn't enough i needed to go wild and and i know because i've talked to several people from my same generation from different places that we all have 
this need to okay what what's after this uh, and, yeah. and i think that's that that and, and it all started to to spread with certain people that started to move from argentina to peru to brazil to chile and then it, it blossomed do you have a theater background fenia Yes, I, I started not uh, officially, but yeah, I did uh, two or three years of scripted theater before I met improvisation. Okay. And do you feel that, I mean, you use telling stories, um, having more time for those. Uh, do you think that was a common pull? Because Match is not about telling stories, right? It's more about a series of scenes or short structures um, mm -hmm. in a competitive format that don't tie together one uh, section to the next, right? Yeah. Where does the pull uh, for story fit in then for you? Tell me about that. For me personally, it's because I, I always liked stories and I, I used to read a lot when I was a kid and I love watching movies and still like to read. I don't read as much as I used to when I was a kid, but I, I like stories. And uh, and I think it, if I have to speak not personally but in general culturally, uh, the in every culture there's a need to tell stories, and in Latin America and specifically in Buenos Aires, we have a huge theater background, and and we we Buenos Aires breathes breathes to theater. It's like uh, there are not many places in the world when you can go out on a Tuesday night and have fifty options to watch theater and right. maybe 200 in a weekend mm -hmm. and uh, and and I, I think it's it's very cultural in in all Latin America uh, the the storytelling is very present and it's also very political uh, there's no mm -hmm. there's no innocence in in telling stories in Latin America because mm -hmm. the we a lot of people use these stories to stand for something, to 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 defend a point, uh, and with all the dark ages that we lived, uh, theater was always a resistance point, or or, or habit, or structure, or or tool, uh, and I think I, I think it's very present for us. Do you feel that that resistance aspect of the theater is part of what you wanted to also have in your improvisation? Definitely. I, I don't conceive improvising without sending a message. One, because it's impossible. We always send a message, whether you like it, you mean it or not. It's there. Mm -hmm. There's a, You being on stage is already a statement. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to to steal a sentence from Noha Musba from Stockholm that I interviewed her for status that's coming next week. I interviewed her a um, couple of days ago and she was talking about uh, a show that she did with other 14 female improvisers in Bydgoszcz in Poland last year. And she said the just the idea of uh, having 15 women on stage it's already a statement without even saying a word uh, because we as audience are used to 
see a full male cast, but not an all-female cast. So mm -hmm. on one hand, you always send a message. And on the other hand, I want to consciously deliver a message with a certain codification that I can choose or I like to use and then see if the, the audience will decode it uh, their way. So yeah. it's very important for me to, to understand who's watching, who is playing with me, uh, but also don't forget that you are there because you want to say something. You, I do theater because I want to say something and the, the vehicle I found was theater. So for, for improvisation, as you said, when you step on stage, you are making statements based on just who you are and, and it can be who you're with too. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel that if you have a specific statement that you want to make that uh, because it's impro improvised that you spend time either on defining the structure more to lean into that statement that you might want to make or two do you put in extra work with your cast mates to agree these are the kind of statements we want to make or is it personal to you? Well, it, it depends. It depends on the project. Uh, in every project, in every even when I'm guesting a show, unless they say, Fenya, don't talk about this, we have the opportunity to write our own lines and to define our characters and even to define other people's characters and other people's lines. So uh, without stepping on anyone's toes, I I still have the, the chance to speak my mind. And that only is like a resistance act to speak your truth. Uh, yeah. And when, if I do this from scratch, if I do this from starting a project, then of course, part before we get on stage, before we start improvising, we set the ground rules and we say, okay, what's the style? What's the What's the rhythm? What are the, the themes, the topics that we are supposed to talk about? Uh, I have a show that's called Any Given Day. And it, it was basically a very simple show that I came up with because a friend from Peru was coming to Buenos Aires and another friend from Buenos Aires. We wanted to do something together and I had an idea. And let's do this. And we tried it. And it was basically asking the audience for a, a a specific historical event and then we played a few scenes inspired by that event not replaying the event but it was inspired by a, a short film from champagne the that the, he did for the, a 9-11 special film uh, okay. and it was a, a very beautiful uh, story about uh, an old man that had a, a plant with a flower in the in the window in New York, and the plant was always dying. And after that morning, when the towers went down, the sun was mm. uh, shining to the to right. the flowers. So this idea of the world could be falling apart, but for this person in in specific, in, in particular, it was a great day, and it, it was life being born there. So the mm -hmm. idea was to have these uh, small scenes, small stories that 
didn't necessarily connect to the event. Mm -hmm. Then eventually it evolved to uh, let's ask just for a day, maybe February 12, and then we search through Wikipedia for all the events that took place on that day throughout history. And at the beginning, it was very innocent, so to speak. But like I said, nothing is innocent. And mm -hmm. I realized that while doing that show, we got to review the world history. And it's horrible. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> all killings and natural disasters and wars and people dying and, and politicians doing the wrong thing. So the show itself uh, was a, a, a satire. I don't know if that's the word. Yeah. Satirical comedy that we laughed about our world, about ourselves. And it was impossible not to reflect on that after the show. So I added this small epilogue in which I recall all the real information, all the real uh, uh, events, and and end by saying all these things happened any given day. So it's impossible not to. You can laugh and you can make fun of it, but still, it's it's true. Right. <laughs> this happened. Right. And so, just a question about that format so the audience gives you a a day a, on the, a day of the day, their birthday i asked somebody oh, okay. for their birthday okay and then do you you look it up as you said and then do you say okay here are the events that happened on this day and then your your performance will key off of some of those things that happened on February 24th throughout history. Is that the format? Yes, yeah, some we just say uh, we pick one, we start a scene, then we when the, when we end the scene, we go back to the computer and pick another. And the idea is that we divide the stage into places. One is a table with a computer, and this moment is also theatrical in the sense that we nobody's nobody's watching at the the screen but us and we just maybe we comment something or we oh, hey do you like this one or oh did you know that blah 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 or maybe if we find an event that it's interesting to mention but not inspiring to play we just say it mm -hmm. aloud until somebody says i got it and then we read 1492 blah 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 blah, and then we right. start the scene. gotcha okay and what are the kinds of um reflections that come after the show what kinds of things do you find that people are communicating to you about what that experience was like well it's it's interesting that people say they they learned about things which is great yeah. and things that you you shouldn't know maybe i don't know i don't know this uh i remember one that the the, the scene itself was horrible. And that, that show is one of the worst shows I've ever played in my life. But I remember one event that was this, this dancing madness uh, disease in, in France that some hmm. people say there was something in the water or something like that that made it everybody started dancing for days and days and people died of dancing, basically. Overdancing. I, I think it's 16 or 17. Yeah, they overdanced. So these are the things that I love these fun facts in history. I love to know unnecessary things. Uh, but also, it's really nice when 
you realize that you know something you you learned it somebody probably taught you taught you that on school then you revisit it and then you you reread it and and maybe you you see it uh, with another example maybe maybe you see an analogy maybe you see a metaphor about that and maybe that oh that chip finally falls and you get it or you you get another version of that uh, and right. it is very it's, it's very again maybe people a lot of people would just leave the theater and say hey that was a fun show and that's it but if at least one person driving back home told their friend hey did you know that or yeah. i didn't know that or how do you feel about that that's that's what i want yeah so one of the things you do in status is you will survey a variety of things that are happening in the improv community or are tied to improvisation and you will provide some critiques on those when you think of the north american english-speaking style i think it is a common critique that it is much more focused on comedy as opposed to being maybe theatrical enough for some people's taste or um maybe not tying into story or things like that when you think of match match would have a comedic goal itself right mm -hmm. and if the goal is comedy that is a a very different type of goal than the kind of goals that you're describing for these formats do you think it's important for there to be more theatrical goals or non-comedic goals in improv or is it just preference or choice what do you think um i th i think we we have to 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 address different things for on one hand i think we can do improvisation or we can use improvisation as a tool to create anything it could be uh, a, a comedian co comedic act with no theatrical um goals or, or ambitions or you can build a full improvised play and and all things are great if you're true to what you want great uh, and uh, and mm, i would say that 90 percent of 95 percent of what happens in the improv world is comedy uh, mm -hmm. but what i do feel is that i don't know if it's something about the culture or the language itself that comedy in the north american circle is strictly connected to stand-up comedy to uh, not uh, connecting emotionally to making people laugh and comedy is a form of theater that's as old as drama and it I, that's the the difference i uh, i find i'm completely okay with comedy i love comedy and I'm, most of what i do is comedy uh, but i do feel that i want to make theatrical comedies and mm -hmm. by theatrical i mean to make conscious choices if your choice your artistic choice is to 
wear whatever you're wearing and have a beer on your hand while you're performing, great, that was your choice and it's perfect because it reflects or it shows what you were investigating, researching or whatever. But if you, again, like why we have to know what happened in, in other places is if you don't know other ways, you're not actually choosing to do it your way. That's the only way yeah. you know. If you yeah. watch more things and say, hey, I, I want to do this because this, this is what I do, great. Um, so and again, generally speaking, the difference would be, is this improvised theater or this is an improv show? Mm -hmm. Just to pick a couple of words. And, and mm -hmm. again, this is a, a great uh, opportunity that interviewing people from all over the world from a lot of years uh, brings is that uh, Marie Wellman from Germany said, uh, we have to refine our vocabulary. In improvisation, we have to find different concepts, different ideas, different descriptions and definitions of what we do, because it's not the same. So we can identify, we can we can explore, we can uh, uh, we can oppose, we can support. So what what would be an example where uh, our vocabulary needs refinement? Do you have a? I just want to poke at that a little bit. Well, like I said, if this is an improv show, maybe it's not an improvised play. I would do an improv show in a bar, and not in a theater or. In, and vice versa, uh, just for one thing. And it could be, again, it could be comedy, it could be drama. Right. It doesn't matter. But uh, it, uh, for me, it's not that you need it. But again, if you choose not to have uh, a stage design, costume design, light design, uh, a previous established concept or theme or whatever, uh, great, it's your choice. But mm -hmm. it's very hard to play that way. Or, or, or to put that form into the improvised theater box that I would use. But again, that's my idea of, okay, first thing, maybe separate these two things. One of the things that has been part of my journey in this podcast and speaking with people like you who are looking at um, the world with a, a critical eye and... Um, also a view towards trying to become better at the craft. I think there is an aspect of being more serious about comedy than we necessarily generally are, maybe because comedy is seen as not serious. But if, if we want our comedy to be most impactful, then I think the deeper you can go with it, the more it's going to land. So if you have a point of view attached to the, the comedic lines or scenes or structures that you do, those will land more. When, when you talk about stand-up comedy, I think about the um, stand-up comedians who, who, who resonate with me and, and where the laughter um, or the material stays longer usually has some sort of deeper meaning or deeper um, personal revelation about 
you know, just what they're going through in life than just a bunch of 30 second, 60 second clips about a funny line, mm-hmm. right? Because improv, we've got to, we've got to pursue comedy differently than a stand-up comedian does. Do you have a sense of what, what leads an audience to, to most enjoy the comedy that we put in front of them versus what maybe a stand-up comedian would use as their um, measuring point? Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, it's like you said, it's very different the way we, we do it because you have a structure and you have uh, the technique like, as we do, but then there's a tryout and you already did this a couple of times, a few times, a hundred times, and you know exactly when people laughs. You know exactly when people says, oh, and we don't. So we have to try it and see what happens. On my experience, the advantage that we have when we improvise is that vulnerability that we made a pact with the audience and they are with us in this. Uh, they mm-hmm. would be more forgiving <laughs> if mm-hmm. we don't don't do it properly. Uh, and 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 I feel that and it's I, I clowns make me laugh a lot because they are really in the moment and they are really feeding from what's happening and and i think that we can learn from that on this idea the this rules of celebrating mistakes and so on so on then but, it, but it's scary to make mistakes yeah. on stage it still is yeah uh, but those moments of of pure magic of uh, spontaneity of that thing you did that thing you said that thing that happened just because a mix of a combination of people and energies. Uh, those are the moments that nobody else, no other art can achieve because we're mm-hmm. doing it in the spot, in the moment. And we don't, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. And that's what makes, what makes me happy on stage. If I have a, a great show and it was all planned, my ego will feel very, very good. <laughs> but if I find something extra, if I find something that sparked joy, I will remember that show even more than the perfect one. Mm-hmm. What do you think has been the most impactful thing that you have pulled from the other circles around the world that is impacting what you do as an improviser today? Well, definitely the the joy of the scene itself. This idea of enjoying not only my lines and uh, but only the silences and the, the moments, and the idea of using the this a single scene of a dramaturgic structure in itself that could be my whole play, and moving away mm-hmm. from this idea of just moving forward, uh, moving to the sides helped me a lot to to understand and and to combine it with uh, the theater that I, I like to watch and I like to read this I, I took this talking head ability from the North American circle to to really combine it with all the other things that I had and I'm a huge Tarantino fan for instance and I love the dialogues that he writes 
because mm -hmm. these are moments that for us improvisers come very very handy because sometimes we just need to breathe to regroup and to let maybe if you have other uh, improvisers working with you let them think about the story let them think about the plot while hey i'll i buy some time with this scene okay and that doesn't mean that i'm just buying time i get to have seven minutes to create a scene that's worth remember like mm -hmm. the quarter pounder with cheese royale with cheese scene from Pulp fiction for instance why do uh -huh. we remember that scene if it doesn't make it, it it doesn't change anything to the plot because it's interesting <laughs> right what might you say the north american scene needs to learn more from the other circles uh okay yes i, I wasn't going to say it but i'm going to say it because yeah. it crossed my mind but i think in general because it had so much history it's very hard for the north american improviser to step down from the pedestal and to look to the eyes of your other peers of your other colleagues um be just being open to learn a different way mm -hmm. that changes everything again i'm talking about the more enclosure improvisers that say this is the way and there is no other way um, and on the other hand it's like to 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 travel to travel more um, yeah and 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 to connect this is why i mean what i mean by connecting uh, of course there's a ocean in the middle and it's very hard for people just to travel around but uh, because it has so many different cities and different communities within for instance the united states you have already you, you you your life won't be enough to cover all those communities but maybe once in a while to connect with people from from the other side of the world it helps you broaden your perspective mm -hmm. and on the other hand is is for me is again if the goal is to achieve more theatrical or do improvised theater i think is to to read more theater and to watch more theater and this is not only for the north american circus for every improviser in the world i think that's when we are get when we are not connected to theater to watching theater to reading theater to to study theater and all the things that a lot of people have been doing for thousands of years if we don't know that again it's like something is missing mm -hmm. we 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 still congratulate ourselves to tell a good story okay great what else and why do you tell it and how do you tell it and what tools what universes what uh, what concepts what symbols again it's very hard and i tell my students the whole time every every class i say this is very hard doing it right is very hard it's not supposed to be easy we are not supposed to be able to play direct and write at the same time it's impossible it's impossible. So anything you do that is a little good, it's perfect. It's great. So mm -hmm. this is what I what I always advise: just more theater. I don't have a good sense of this. Whether this is 
kind of a U.S. culture thing or whether it's a universal thing. But I, I would say that in the United States, there is certainly a strong pull to have, you know, a way to figure it out, you know, to have sort of a set of rules or whatever it is so that you can master those. And certainly there would be a enculturation that, especially because improv in some ways, the, the current type of improv, you could say, started in the United States, um, that we must have it figured out the best. Um, and so you stay within this certain box, but that box that you think is so big, and it is, is, is still a small box because of how much is happening elsewhere. And if you close yourself out to that, you just... You, it's an it's its own kind of echo chamber, and you don't realize, oh, there's a deeper level I can go if I think about it this way or that. So certainly, the opening up of the global improv community, I think, has been something that has been very good for the United States-based improviser, but probably a need to look beyond it as an opportunity to export what we do and look for more opportunities to import um, how other people do this and view this so that we can find out what, what we're missing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I see the, the, the workshops that you're putting up and I know some of them are English language and some of them are not. Um, do you have a sense of how much participation in the non-U.S. based uh, workshops are attended by U.S. improvisers? It's hard to 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 know because what I what I can say is that time difference is a thing. Yes, <laughs> a huge thing, and I mainly work with people from my time zone and when mm -hmm. I didn't is it's from Latin America because I did it in Spanish. Right. But I I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I yeah I don't know. <laughs> Honestly I don't know. I think I think I had people from from the States in my classes uh, and I wouldn't say a percentage because I didn't have representation or huge representation from any circle. It was more like one uh, one person, one improviser from a different time zone. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it's it's it, like I say, it's a great opportunity to to import and export. And this idea of doing being able to do it uh, without having to travel, it's great. Uh, then you have to be interested, and you have to be interesting. Yeah, maybe depends yeah. what your what you, what you need as an improviser, what you want to develop, and if there's anybody offering that and vice versa let's get back let's get back to to story i uh, i noticed a post of yours that i think referred back to an issue that probably was just when it was a spanish language publication but now status is available in eight or nine languages eight i'll make sure people can find a link to it but if you look for status Revista, uh, yep. what, what is the web address? Just go ahead and put it out there for people. To... 
is statusrevista.com. Because if you sometimes if, if you sorry if you Google status revista or revista status it's also like a men magazine with women with not too many clothes on from the eighties. So that's well, not us. <laughs> we're, we're not those. <laughs> All right. Well, and if you can't figure out that uh, which is which, then you've got other yeah, if, issues. If, I guess. if you add if you add impro to the Google search, that would spare that that'll do okay <laughs> well and i'd really i'd encourage people to uh at least at least subscribe to fenya's publication you can decide for yourself on the other um <laughs> but you had referenced um and this is one of the things that i like about the magazine is that you not only are looking at the impro or improv world but you are also trying to look at the, the theatrical world or literature um, and other sources that can inform what we do. And you had um, an article about a Russian anthropologist and linguist, Vladimir Prop, I think uh, uh, you would say it, uh, The Morphology of the Tale from 1928. Um, do you remember this article and this topic? Yep. Okay. So in that, he categorized common structures and characters. And I've seen some of this um, that has happened uh, or, or been done by other academics or scholars or whatever. Do you think that, or how do you think exploring the structures of theater or literature can make someone a better improviser or is it personal preference? What, 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 how would you describe this kind of additional exploration beyond the world of improvisation? Uh, I think it's connected to what I was saying before about if you have more choices, then you are more free. You can pick from this and, and there's a lot of people probably smarter than us that already did this job and mm -hmm. you probably in a rehearsal in a training with your team trying to i don't know maybe do a a, a basic structure or to um to play a certain genre you're doing all that work from from what you know when there's people that already did that work for you and you had yeah. to look it up. In the case of, of Vladimir Prop, is this this was a crazy person that in research every Russian folk tale to identify a common structure, and uh, and then he did this structure in which you have these functions, these roles that the characters do or or happen. It's like the uh, the hero's journey is another very similar structure with the same idea of identifying why we tell stories this way and why why they work then then you can choose whether to follow those steps whether to consciously not follow those steps to do it backwards to change the the name of the of the functions to combine them and in in this case, and in the hero's journey, it's all about uh, a cultural observation. 
it's not just theater, it's not just literature, it's not just telling stories for the audience, but how we tell stories ourselves, how how certain uh, stories are perpetuated, mm -hmm. and and we see the we see it when when you look back to uh, children tales, and you now you can analyze them and and see them from another perspective and what did they mean by don't do this don't take the other road when you go visit your grandmother uh, why are there always children disobeying their parents being punished and if you start just extrapolating a little it's just the same heroes that disobeyed the gods and were punished in the Greek tragedies. So it's basically a form of uh, warning the characters, warning the society of what you should or shouldn't do and what are the consequences of your actions. So any person that did a research before you and took <laughs> years of uh, investigating, I think at least you should check him. Then you can like them or not, you can use them or not, but what if they already did something that you were working on? And you can go to the next rehearsal and say, hey, I found that this Russian anthropologist already did this. Great, you just move forward three months of work. When you explore these kinds of things, how much of it is an individual process for you versus you discover something and then the theater troupe group um, that you perform with uh, ends up consuming the same resources? Or are you building your individual toolkit for improvisation and others in your, in your, in your personal improv circle are not necessarily <laughs> digging as deep? Well, uh, it's been a while since I'm not officially part of a group. When I when I was in, in Buenos Aires, we were a very small group of three improvisers that played together when I left the, the improv match. And then we started working just with the idea of, like I said, telling stories and, and do it properly. Uh, then when I, when I started traveling, I started working specifically with different people. Uh, but I don't have a troupe or a group with uh, okay. with whom I, re I research or I rehearse or I play uh, normally. So this is very individual. And then I tell everyone about it. It's like, hey, I found this. Or if, for instance, I'm working on a specific project with a specific cast, I would add to what I to what the director says, I would add my experience. Uh, or if I direct a project with a certain cast, I will use all this background, all this information uh, to see if we can, uh, to see if it's useful. For instance, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm directing now uh, a show which is uh, basically a film critique TV show. So you have on one side, you have the, the two, uh, uh, presentators, the two hosts of the show, they speak about movies and about cinema, uh, and then the improviser that plays specific bits of the movies that they are uh, talking about. 
and 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 in that particular case, I use my knowledge about movies in general, about history of cinema, because I also am lucky to have my wife having a degree in cinema and theater. So I get to, I always say it's a, a very beautiful career to 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 follow without having to to do the, the test, <laughs> without having to do the exams. So and in every day I had to maybe watch movies I wouldn't watch in my life or read plays or talk about theater or philosophy. I had books all over my house about philosophy and, and theory of the theater and the cinema. Uh, so everything helps. And if, even if, if I find something that it's uh, that I know about and it has nothing to do with theater, it might help. I'm thinking about this because I know you're a, you know, you're a deep diver when it comes to to improvisation, and I, I think I am as well, uh, at least to some degree. And I know there are moments. I'm I'm asking whether you've had these kind of moments where you're on stage, and something from your studies, exploration, or whatever uh, presents itself in a scene and if if you see uh, i'll just make up an example from um vladimir prop if you see well if if we've got this start of a a story happening here then if we follow that train we'll end up with a story that gets to a certain endpoint or concept or whatever and so let's go down that road but if the other performers don't know about that that uh, approach then what seems like an obvious path to you is not something that's available to your scene partners have mm-hmm. you had those kind of moments yes and uh, <laughs> and 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 surprisingly it doesn't bother me it's like i i would think i know myself enough to to guess that i would get mad at it at that situation uh but i also i don't know my brain works in a way that if things are not going the way i i foresaw i don't know if that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah no that's perfect yeah <laughs> right uh then my brain finds another path and if it's not going this way then it's maybe it's going this way and then I make my my brain makes the map of the other possibilities, like a quantic moment of okay, this is the other possibility. This is another a, a new thing that's happening that modifies the the present, and now we're going this way. And and also when I'm on stage, uh, I think it's part experience, part trance that I'm not conscious of what I'm doing of what everybody else is doing in that way. I'm more into, mm, of course, I, I remember, I recall moments of pulling and trying to say, no, come back here because this is the cliff, <laughs> we're, we're going to die. And, yeah. and not and not managing to do so. Uh, <laughs> uh, but most of the times it's just, okay, trust that the, these structures or these studies, these forms of, telling the stories are made to be 
uh, not obvious, but um, natural. It's the natural yeah. development of the story. That's why it's been told this way for so many years. Because right. this is the moment. We, we, we usually uh, spoil it when we try to change it, when we try to be clever, when we try to be original. What mm -hmm. I say is like, you are telling me this love story. Tell me that love story. Don't be original. You can be original in other moments, but don't make a different choice because we made a pact with ourselves and with the audience that this is the kind of story they are watching. If you go to right. see a play, you go to see a movie, you know what the movie is about usually. Yeah. It's very hard you you feel this betrayal. But since we are improvising and most of the times it's not a theme or a genre in general, we just do whatever we want. The first mm -hmm. minutes is are the minutes in which we make this pact. And we mm -hmm. tell the people, hey, this is the story you're going to watch. Yeah. And if you change that, you lose them. Yeah, because audiences do have certain expectations, at least on the big stuff, so that they can track what we're doing. Uh, I wonder if the cleverness and originality should be reserved for the quarter pounder scenes, whereas the overall structure of a story, at least when you're telling a story, should be more not 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 prepackaged because that's not it. It's just more consumable where the where the audience knows this is what's happening. They know at the end the love story is either going to succeed or fail. They don't know which, but it's mm -hmm. gonna be mm -hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna go a certain there's, way. Yeah, there's there's something that's also very interesting is that um, children in general uh, like to be told the same stories over and over. Yeah, because it's it's comforting for them to know what's going to happen. Yeah. They feel this empowerment of knowing what's going to happen because it's a safe place, because they know that mm. at the end the monster is going to 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 die. The the witch is going to the oven, and so the the audience works the same way. We're, we're just big children, so if you <laughs> again if you watch that Saturday afternoon uh, movie comedy with the two beautiful actors having this love story, of course you know the structure and you hope for the structure to be uh, respected. Yeah. Otherwise it's yeah. like, what? No, no, that's not makes sense. I encourage, for instance, my students, I encourage them to follow the logic of what they build. Yeah. Everything has a logic. It's not always the same logic, but again, once you started once you decided you discovered what kind of story you're telling then just follow the logic mm -hmm. listen to the story and the story would tell itself you are yeah. just mere uh, spirits wandering in that story yeah when the, the 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 subtitle of my my favorite workshop which is improvised dramaturgy is is easier to discover than to create or something like that in english and it was actually um, a quote from uh, an improviser, Joe Bosick from Minneapolis, that uh, I heard him once in a festival in Improvaganza in Canada. 
and it was so precise and mm. it creating is energy consuming your brain has to be in an active mode to create but to discover you just have to pay attention you have to be open so if mm -hmm. you are open you just have to pay attention to what's happening and the story will appear mm -hmm. yeah and there's an element of safety and vulnerability and openness with your scene partners that allows you to discover as well as an understanding of how to improvise or how to improvise with whatever the goals are that you've set that I think are important. But to have the confidence with your scene partners, I think, you know, you can an improviser's tool will allow them to perform with just about anybody. But to perform at the highest level, I think requires enough personal connection, um, which sometimes just happens between people. They may just click and they don't have to work at it. But I think more often we need to spend time with each other to get that highest level of the art. And I wonder if in our current environment or what it'll look like when the world is more open, whether we are spending too little time together to accomplish this or whether we need to focus on that more because with Zoom, you spend this, a short amount of time with each other and usually you're diving right into a workshop as opposed to let's just hang out for a while. Hmm. There's only so many people that you hang out with on Zoom. And at least for me, I feel like the people that I would normally see in real life, I'm not seeing as often on Zoom. And so so I'm getting less hmm. of these of these people. And that makes us less connected, even though we may feel like we're connected more closely than we other I, I don't know if i'm making sense but yeah i fear that it would be like uh, this long distance relationship when you say hey everything is okay we'll we can talk every day we just yeah. don't get to see each other but uh, everything will be just fine and it usually never is it doesn't yeah. mean it's a bad thing i think that when go back to this new normality we will come back with new ideas, with new with doubts, with questions, and and maybe for some people is the time they needed to to find a new a new way, a new path. And in the best case scenarios, is oh, I wanted so bad to rehearse and to play with you again. Yeah. I either way is positive, and and I agree with you that you can you can you can have marvelous improvisers playing together and finding the magic in the moment because of experience, because of technique itself. Uh, but nothing beats uh, a well-trained uh, and trustworthy cast of people that work together for years. In some mm -hmm. things, you maybe you have you can have less magic of this same spontaneity I was talking about that I it thrills me. Yeah. Uh, but you have more confidence. You, you are yeah. more open to that and you share uh you, you share codes 
with simple things such as a look uh, or a sign or if you know me you know that when i put my knee to the ground it's because i'm not safe i'm not comfortable on stage and people mm -hmm. that know that would immediately come and play with me because i usually don't like to be alone on stage but if you see me put my knee down that means <laughs> safe Fenya because she's not having a the great time how do you feel Fenya in person versus Fenya in a rectangle as an improviser how how are those two different i don't like Fenya in a rectangle <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I get to, I get to, I, I didn't play much on on Zoom. Uh, I did uh, teach a lot, but uh, I had this two month season of a, uh, an improvised uh, Zoom play or something like that. But it also, it's also true that it took us other three months to rehearse with the cast a cast of people yeah. I knew. I worked with at Central Point, but we never worked together. We're, we're improvisers from different places in Latin America, which is very nice. As people I really respect and and love. But the specific work that we did in these three months before the the show was very helpful, and I liked what we did on that moment. But overall, mm -hmm. I don't like playing for a small screen in my office in my house i mm -hmm. i enjoy being on a, on a magical place which is for me the theater uh, yeah i i like the ritual before and after the show i like this idea of the lights going down in the audience and the lights going uh, up in the on stage this idea of a dream that you don't know whether it was real or not, I like this romantic side of theater. That's why I'm going to use, I don't like, but in comparison to the actual stage, sure. I don't like playing in a bar. I don't like playing in a corporate show as much as I do when I play in a, in a theater. So mm -hmm. this is the same, this is, okay, I, I like it. I think it works, but it's not what I do. The the things that we that we like and that we, gravitate towards they don't always pay the same as some of the other things because the corporate shows and probably the the bar or the club comedy club type shows often will pay better than the improvised theater i think i think that's probably universally true mm. on some level so do you do you find yourself doing those other things just to to have additional income, or are you able to avoid it? I, I don't. I don't hate it. I enjoy it most of the times. Uh, if I have to think about a, a crappy uh, corporate show, I might as well think about a crappy theater show. Uh, I have yeah. both, um, and I still have fun. And this is what I like doing. But I wouldn't stop doing theater because I have too I many corporate shows. I am not. In, in general, I'm not a, a person that needs to make much money. Uh, I never mm -hmm. had a regular job, or I, I think I never knew exactly how much was I going to make a month in my life. So I'm comfortable with that. 
I think in a, a in an evolution sort of way, it prepared me for this situation. This instability. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've been living in Argentina for 36 years, so a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the balance is between uh, doing what you like and getting paid for things that you like, or at least you don't hate. I just don't conceive the idea of going to a place I hate for eight hours just to have a decent wage. There is a freedom in, as, as long as you can cover the basics, if you are not driven by finances or overly driven by finances, that gives you the freedom to pursue the artistic that much more, which um, I suppose is a luxury. I guess it is. Mm -hmm. um, but the artist decides how much of the rest of life, <laughs> what importance to place on the material, I guess. Totally. I, I always enjoyed free time in general, just to not to just look to the sky, to read a book, to play a game, to, I don't know, to eat. To, to walk around so um, and I would definitely for instance if I have to if I would choose the ideal uh, uh, work or I don't know professional definition would be I would like to do a typical improv show for 300 people every Friday while I play for 50 people in a small theater the things I like that would be great mm -hmm. in terms of yeah. art performing and and also teaching if you if you work well and if you're professional teaching is a, is a good income it's a, it's a steady and mm -hmm. uh, and you there's people trying to to get a grasp of what we do all the time because they see us and say i want to have fun the way you do because that's why and how most of us got into this because we saw people having fun and being so free on stage that we wanted to do it. If, again, it shouldn't be your motivation to teach because this is one of the things that I don't like. It's like teach because of the money and you don't have a teaching spirit or a pedagogical background. Yep. It's, it's complicated and I think it's irresponsible because you are forming people that would eventually teach and to get the the idea, um, mm -hmm. but if you if you are professional in everything you do, you shouldn't pandemics <laughs> and economical crisis apart. It shouldn't be a problem. But you have to believe in what you do. Well, Fania, I'm looking at the time, and I knew this would be an interesting conversation, and <laughs> that uh, it would go as it goes. I will, I, will, I will stay hours and hours talking about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get to do it again at some point. But I really appreciate your contributions to the improvisation community. I think, again, I encourage people with um, it's a very inexpensive subscription to Status Magazine available in uh, Spanish, English, German, French, Portuguese, Italian, Russian, and Polish, I believe are the languages. I think I got them all and, uh, perhaps more to come, but it is no. a, <laughs> definitely not, <laughs> definitely not. Oh, okay. Well, 
there are people who have who have taken that on and um, made that available to that much more of the world, which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, and hopefully, you know, people are taking that uh, that opportunity. But again, I appreciate your contributions. I appreciate your insight and sharing the time with us today. And again, hopefully we talk again soon. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. I had, I, I, I love talking. That's it. And <laughs> end of story. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Fania. There's the Fania episode. There are individual topics that I could focus on, but the sum total of the conversation is worthy of its own consideration too. Broadening your view, being open to just learning a different way, maybe even just learning about a different way, can be transformative to your work. I love the notion that more choices leads to more freedom. We also considered the pact that we might have with the audience. This phrase is one that has come up before, but it remains an area not fully considered in my view. Perhaps this is more deeply considered in the theater world and mindset than it might be in the improv or perhaps improv comedy mindset, but considering it might help flesh out what are fair critiques in certain improv theaters or performances and what might be poor communication of what a show or experience might be. I mentioned Status as a great resource and I encourage you to subscribe. It's a great way to stay connected to the broader improv community. And of course, I'll put up links and more information on the episode webpage at improvcomedyconnection.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if so, would you please share it with a friend that you know who would benefit from listening in? That one-to-one sharing, whether on social media, by text, email, or otherwise, is how we've been growing to date. And of course, your ratings and subscriptions are a great help too. As always, if you have thoughts on how this podcast could be more impactful for you or have a thought on topics or guests that would be a great fit for a future episode, please reach out to me at wit at improvcomedyconnection.com. I'm doing this to be of help to you as we work together to connect more deeply with each other and our audiences through comedy. My name again is Witt Schiller, and I'm an improviser out of Milwaukee with Fishsticks Comedy. You can check us out at fishstickscomedy.com, and you can connect with me on social media at Witt on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also go to witschiller.com for additional content and resources to help you in your comedy or communication journey. Thanks again for tuning in to the Improv Comedy Connection.